Welcome to Translator City Radio. This is uh, your co-host Robert with Zingward.com, where translators sign up to uh, get jobs and where people can find them. This is your co-host Gilles Michel, reporting from Romont in Switzerland. And uh, today uh, we're going to talk about uh, why Gilles Michel is uh, getting out of the translation industry. That's right. This time I'm leaving for a little while. Yeah, we're going to miss you, Jill. But uh, in the meantime, uh, the music uh, that you hear right now is by Calm Truth, which sounds like Tom Cruise, but it's Calm Truth. Uh, the album is Indicate, and uh, we recommend that you go out and uh, listen to that. Great. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so that was an intro. What's about that? All right. Uh, so let's get into it then. Um, so Jill's leaving the, the translation industry for a while. Um, before we get straight into that, let's, let's talk a little bit, Jill, about how you got into translations in the first place. Sure. Well, uh, when I finished my studies in Switzerland, uh, I went to the UK, to London, to study, um, to study English for a few months. And when I was there, I realized that I had a real passion for uh, learning about foreign cultures and figuring out um, what other languages were, were saying, what people speaking other languages were saying. And I was really fascinated by, by foreign languages in general and foreign cultures. And when I came back, I started looking for, um, for jobs that I could do that involved that sort of thing. And that's when I, I learned about the, the translation industry, which I, I hadn't even occurred to me before. Um, so then I looked up on, uh, online how to get into that industry because it's not as obvious as it may seem. And I found a degree in, uh, at the University of Salford in the UK. And I worked for a few years in Switzerland to get some money. And then I left for, uh, to start my translation career. Uh, so, uh, so then when you, when you took your, your studies in translation, um, how, how, how were your studies? How did you, how did you like them? Oh, um, I started that bachelor's degree in, actually it was in modern languages, translation and interpreting. Mm -hmm. And from, yeah, from the very start, we were told that the first year wouldn't count anyway. We were supposed to pass, but the grades didn't count count at all towards the, the, the final grades. Um, so I thought, okay, well then this first year is probably an adaptation period and after it it's probably going to get more serious because the first year was really relaxed, I found. And it turned out that the four years were like this. Uh, the, the whole thing was pretty relaxed and you basically repeated the same concepts over and over again. So all in all, it was really disappointing for that because I feel like everything we've seen in the in the uh, yeah fr from the second year on was basically a repetition of what we'd already seen in the first year. Right, right, right. 
But but you stuck with it anyways, right? Because you you were you really wanted to be a translator. Yeah, absolutely. What I did um, was basically to start translating while I was still studying because I was so bored with the studies because it was uh, more of the same. Uh, I started working on the side as a translator because I figured, well, let's give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. And why not, right? It's it's one of the, the perfect careers for that, actually. If you're studying something, you can really get started right away. Absolutely. Um, Cool. Start getting a profile on pros, start looking up uh, blogs and things that you can read on top of the stuff you learn at university to see how the two match up. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, you mentioned that you were really into, uh, you know, foreign cultures and foreign languages and, and you kind of started with that um, when you discovered translation. Yes. And uh, one of the things that I was wondering is if you think that being a translator is something that is vocational how do you mean uh well uh when something is vocational like in english it's like a well i mean the common example is like a priest um but for example being a doctor is often thought of as a vocation oh like it's your calling yeah like you're, you're meant to do that yeah i okay my argument for this sort of thing it goes back to what people used to to tell me when i was when i give a few english classes in argentina which is, oh, uh, but you, you just have uh, a natural talent for languages. I don't. I mean, uh, I would teach students of um, uh, doctoral student, uh, PhD students of the university, and they were studying chemistry, right? And I, I would tell them that if you spent, if you spent as much time uh, as I did studying languages, you would be as good as I am. Right. And I'm pretty sure that's how it works. It, it just in the same way as I don't understand anything about chemistry because I've never studied it at all. I've never spent any any time studying it, so I don't understand it at all. And if I start studying it now, uh, even if I spend like two hours a day for uh, for a year, I'm not going to know as much as them because they've spent their whole career studying that. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense. So the, the vocation thing, I'm not a big believer of it because mm -hmm. I think as long as you're interested in what you're doing, it's, it just comes naturally. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that the way that you described it is, is really interesting, too, because um, uh, I know there's a lot of translators that uh, are not happy with their with uh, their wages or their, you know, their earnings and maybe sometimes the way that people perceive them. And a lot of them, you know, say something very similar to what you just said, which is like, well, you know, I studied languages and if you studied so much about languages, you could do this too. And exactly, and, you know, you can compare it to other fields like, uh, like chemistry and, and why not, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's basically this. Yeah. It's, it's the same for everything. Even if you start a Sport, you're not going to be very good straight away. Um, for example, we took up Aikido uh, here in Switzerland like a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, I took my first class, so I'm a beginner. And whenever I see that the more advanced students do the stuff, it looks really easy. But then you try doing it yourself and you just fail miserably. Uh, yeah. But again, the, the same concept applies. Uh, if I had d uh, practiced Aikido for as long as they did, I would be doing as well as they are. So it's the same with professions, the same with everything, I think. Right. Yeah, that's funny, too, because I have like, uh, I think that 50% of my friends um, practice Aikido. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, you just brought the average up to up to 50%. <laughs> <laughs>
right. Have right. you ever tried it? Uh, me, Aikido? Yeah. No, no. I mean, I've seen some Steven Seagal movies. Um, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> it's not the same in movies. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, all but right. It's really cool. So uh, okay, so you got into translation when you when you traveled abroad. Um, you've been a translator now for what, like four years, something uh, like that. Yeah, I started in two thousand and thirteen in March. I hadn't graduated okay. yet. Yeah, yeah, like three years. And um, and tell us about your how you built up your freelance business. I mainly focused on working with agencies because that's. I think that's the easiest. That's easier than finding direct clients because yeah. agencies have their uh, portals online where you just sign up and you send your CVs, you send your qualifications. You do that for all the agencies you come across, and eventually you you'll get something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's kind uh, of the low so, hanging fruit for for a translator, I guess. It is, but well, yeah. Since I started when I was still studying, uh, I figured well, it it'll be a start, and I. I just stuck with it because I was pretty happy with it. I mean, in Argentina, when you earn eight cents per word, uh, it's not bad. And especially if you get, yeah, if you get regular work, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's pretty good. But, um, and yeah, that, that, this is actually one of the reasons why I can't really keep doing that anymore. Because in Switzerland, the cost of living is so high that it, it just doesn't work out. I'd need to find direct clients. And it's an area I'm not familiar with at all. Mm -hmm. And so I figured I could specialize some more before getting back into translation and then I can find direct clients and I can get some savings on the side to, to prepare for uh, for it as well. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, so so strategically what we're looking at here is uh, you moved back to Switzerland with uh, your wife and uh, exactly. and what what was a pretty decent salary before. Uh, is not a good salary in, in Switzerland because, uh, okay, so you were looking at uh, jobs for being like a personal assistant, right? Just a, yeah, for, example. for example. And how much yeah, were those paying? It depends a lot on the on the company, depends a lot on the responsibilities that you have. Because as a personal assistant, I found that you could be just someone who brings coffee to the CEO or you could be someone who has a lot of responsibilities within the company and is really just underneath the CEO. So there are very varying grades of the same title, if that makes sense. And the salary, of course, depends a lot on that as well. Uh, but yeah, I've, I mean, um, to my understanding, a good salary within the European Union would be about 2,000 euros a month. That would be reasonable, right? It's not good, but it's reasonable, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, it's reasonable. I mean, uh, right. I think that if, if I was um, working a full-time gig like that, I, I, would, I would expect probably three at the minimum for myself. But I'm in my middle 30s and, you know... Right. Right. But. Yeah, I was I was saying that because um, a few years ago, well, a few years, it's been over 10 years now, um, I had a friend who had just finished his master's degree. He was French and he was very excited to have found a job. Uh, he had finished just finished his master's degree in uh, in the IT field. I can't remember what, he, what it was he was doing in it, uh, exactly, but uh, he had a master's degree and he was very excited because he had found a job, a very well-paying job that paid 2,000 euros a month. Yeah. And uh, let, let me just do a quick conversion because I'm not sure how the, the, the Swiss franc compares to the euro. Yeah. It's about 10% difference. Uh, okay. So in Switzerland, for me, uh, for someone who, who has just finished 
their studies, for example, for a, a student who's just finished college, for example. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need to have a high... Um, I, uh, a higher education or anything like that. I just finished school. You'd get in Switzerland uh, as f- for a paying job, it would be about three thousand six hundred euros a month. Right. So for a, for a what paying job? For a low low for a job. low paying job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like and in I the rest of Europe, for... uh, that's you know that's usually going to be a pretty decent salary. I mean, I know. Uh, you know, like electromagnetic engineers in Paris. Um, I mean, in Paris, you know, yep. which is expensive, um, that earn, you know, any anywhere between two and three and a half. Now, for the company, you have to bear in mind that, that they're paying expenses on top of that, you know, the taxes and, and exactly. the social security stuff. So social like benefits. That, that, yeah, that doubles it. Yeah. You know, may, is, it, is it the case that in Switzerland um, there's not very many taxes? For those wages, uh, the, for those wages, you, you still account for a bit more than a month worth of salary uh, right. for for taxes for income tax, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the VAT here is very low, so I suppose that's that's also very uh, an advantage, I suppose. But it, it's not directly related to the income. Uh, mm-hmm. It's only eight percent here, the VAT. Oh wow, that's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, to to answer your, your question as an executive assistant uh, there is a website here that does statistics about uh, yeah about the, the, the income of people uh, depending on the gender the title the, um, the education they have and all those things and in general for an executive assistant um, the, the the salaries are apparently between 6,400 euros a month and 7,700 euros yeah that's, that's insane a- yeah, it's for incredible an for an assistant, seven thousand euros a month. Yeah, of course the rent is high and the costs are high, but it's still so. So yeah, so the case is pretty clear. Um, you moved back to Switzerland. Um, you had a, a fantastic salary in Argentina. Um, it's no longer gonna gonna make it for you there in Switzerland. Um, exactly, it's not enough. Right now, does it ever cross your mind that? that you should move back to Argentina. <laughs> no, because while you have uh, different expectations here, the quality of life is also worth it. Right. Uh, the problem, the main problem we had in Argentina was the, the, the food. We were in the center of the country and basically all we had to eat was some form of bread, right. uh, cheese, and ham. Uh-huh. So it's it's good. It's I'm not saying it's bad, but uh, when you eat it every day, right? For example. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 all I know is that they have good meat in chimichurri. You know, that's all. <laughs> I don't really know much else. Oh, and yes, empanadas. But, yeah, exactly. But the, the meat itself, they, the meat that they sell in Argentina, in Cordoba at least, because mm-hmm. uh, I was told that a lot of the meat that that, that that's very famous and all that comes from Cordoba. But mm-hmm. in Cordoba itself, you just don't find it. Yeah. They sell it everywhere, but they don't use it. They don't consume it themselves. They just keep yeah. the, 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 the worst pieces. Yeah. Oh, I've had some conversations with uh, some Argentinians about um, about exporting of, of uh, raw materials and things from Argentina. And uh, okay. it's just funny because, like, uh, for example, Italy exports a lot of uh, food products, you know, like olive oil, for example. 
And uh, Italian yes. exported olive oil is is fatal. I mean, it's it's like it's not very really. Good. Yeah, yeah. They they. I mean, you can find probably some good Italian exported oil, but um, they dominate exports in olive oil. You know, so like they have brands like Bertoli and stuff like that. And I mean, it's just really crappy olive oil what they export <laughs> and. Uh, and they export like prosciutto and they export a lot of those things and all of the stuff that they export is just crappy and the reason is because it's like they're i don't know i mean they're they're eating and and uh, consuming all the best stuff in italy and exporting all the crappy stuff you know and uh yeah, yeah and i think that you know in in latin america there's this colonial relationship that they've had for a long time with with people here and and they end up doing the opposite thing so they send all the best things of argentina abroad and and uh, maybe they're not left with uh, with the best stuff at home i don't know so back back to the back to the strategy thing um yes so uh so you're not thinking about um moving back to Argentina really you're really set on staying in Switzerland so why yeah, don't you tell us what's to, the plan the idea is to stay with uh with my family basically because my wife is from Colombia right but mm-hmm. she doesn't want to to she doesn't want to be in Colombia because um for her to find a job as a as a doctor in chemistry would be very difficult she would be forced to teach or to basically work at a university doing something related to teaching and research. And she doesn't want to stay in the, uh, in the academic field. So the, the thing is, by staying here in, in, well, in Europe, basically in general, she could actually find a job in the industry. And that's what she wants to do. Um, so yeah, that, that would also have been another alternative, more than Argentina. Uh, but yeah, the idea is to, to be close to family. And yeah, the plan is to find something here in the in the french-speaking area of switzerland uh because the, the other thing is we could that there is a lot of job that there are a lot of jobs in uh, in zurich for example in the zurich area mm-hmm. um but that's the german-speaking part so the problem here would be that my wife would have to learn what to perfect her english to learn french from scratch and to also learn german from scratch mm-hmm. and that's three languages <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Better to stick with that that French area. So yeah, besides, there, there should be enough job opportunities here in in this area to, for, to yeah for both of us. So yeah, we'll just see how it goes. We're looking in the whole country for now because there are also some German speaking parts, but we we could go to work there and still live in the Swiss in the in the French speaking region. Yeah. So that that's also an altern- an, an option for us. Right. But yeah, that, that, that's the plan. And the, the good thing in Switzerland, well, the, the good thing for me and the problem for her is that in Switzerland, everything is basically, uh, the, the work and studying are basically parallels. So usually when you work, you also study at the same time. So for someone who has only been at university, she, uh, she would be lacking the, the work experience, the, the work mm-hmm. side of things. Whereas here, um, what a lot of people do is work and study at the same time. For example, example what i'm thinking of doing is to specialize in accounting in finance and accounting there is a degree that takes about two years and a half and you do that while having a full-time job and you study during the evening mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it's uh, for example they have a similar system in in france that's called apprenticeship mm-hmm. but i believe the system in 
France doesn't work very well. In Switzerland, we've apparently, well, to my understanding at least, we've basically mastered mm -hmm. the art of working and studying at the same time. Yeah. So that, that's really great, especially for, well, in my case, because I can do both. I can earn a decent income, specialize yeah. some more, and then go back to translating. Yeah, they have a system in Spain for that too. Um, I think it's called unlimited unpaid internships. <laughs> I see. Yeah, but, but that's unpaid. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> exactly. But like in Spain, like, uh, I mean, it's like, I don't know, there's a ton of jobs that uh, used to be jobs and they just replaced them with internships because they, they changed the laws about, about internships. So the idea uh, then is to um, get a gig, uh, a full-time gig in finance and accounting or, or as an assistant or in marketing or something while you are studying that degree, right? Exactly. And you're hoping to then go full circle and come back to translations and specialize in finance. Yes, because with the, the training I've had so far, I have some knowledge of finance and accounting. I have some knowledge of the, um, of the law as well, the Swiss law more than anything, uh, of contracts and that sort of thing. But it's, it's really a, um, um, a starting point, if that makes sense. I'm not a specialist at anything. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm missing for my translation career. Yeah, it's uh, specializing specializing so that by doing that i would also get back into the uh, the whole uh, process of basically knowing how to to fill up um uh, what's it called an income tax form because mm -hmm. they, they they get pretty tricky, but it's we've learned how to do this when I was in doing my apprenticeship. But um, it was I, I finished my apprenticeship in two thousand and seven, so it's been nine years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you know, there, there are there are a few things that I should know how to do, but I haven't done in so long that I should get back into it to to refresh my memory. Right. Right. Well, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting idea, you know, because I I know that finance is a is a fine field for translators. Um, I mean, the most basic stuff I think is like translating quarterly reports. Exactly. Um, yeah. For for companies, but um, for example, I have a friend in in Belgium who works for a company called Euroclear, and right. uh, they do like, uh, well, I mean, it's pretty high, uh, like stratosphere financial stuff. They they enable like massively large transactions, you know, okay. from between you know like governments and huge companies and stuff like that. Yes. And uh, and hopefully not you know like mafia and stuff but uh <laughs> i don't i don't think so i think it's pretty legit but uh mm -hmm. and uh and he's a writer there um but there are a lot of uh things uh going on in finance for um translators and writers both and uh you know cuz at, at a very high level there's a lot of financial mm -hmm. stuff going on with contracts and things that um, it really takes a special person to be able to to translate that stuff, and there's a lot of in-house gigs for that. Oh yeah, there is that too. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in Switzerland, uh, uh, I mean, if you got that degree in finance, and then you wanted to go into translation, you, I'm sure there is an in-house gig for translating this all this weird financial stuff that you know you need a PhD to understand. <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah. We, this degree I want to do is supposed to be the um, the studies that uh, a CFO is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
so it goes really into in depth into yeah into everything of finance and, and accounting right uh, but that, that's also the reason why I don't want to take just any job because for example uh, as an administrator or a, a a project manager or something like that uh, I wouldn't do any accounting and I wouldn't see concretely what's going on within the company I couldn't be able I, I wouldn't be able to do the link between my studies and the um, the work mm -hmm. so by combining the two uh, you get I think it's easier to have um, yeah to, to connect uh, to connect the dots basically and then yeah then with, with that sort of study you could absolutely work in a in-house as a translator but you, it also opens a lot of doors for example if i found that i really like accounting and finance then i could also work in that yeah exactly yeah and see that's just the thing is that you know i i, I know you have this idea that you're going to come back to translation but part of me is thinking jill's never coming back <laughs> you know because well, like you might you know you might even you never know you might get a good job um while you're studying and then um or even before you start the new the new studies you might get a very good job and think well you know i can start where i'm at here and just and build a career like that as well you know it's always a possibility of course yeah um but yeah because i mean translation in itself is a re really good gig if you're on the move yeah right if you're traveling you just need a laptop an internet connection and you're good to go right so it's basically a plan b if i can't find a decent job the, the thing is since i've been on my own well as a, as a freelancer for like three years now and back when i was working within well during my apprenticeship and the two years i worked as an accounts assistant i never really liked being uh in-house like having right. a boss and uh, having to answer to someone who usually didn't yeah who often didn't have um didn't follow the, the most i felt the most optimal way of doing things and sometimes i would actually go against them because i disagreed and i turned out to be right and yeah it's it's a whole issue when you work within a company and with the personality i have as an intj uh, if i see that my boss isn't doing something right uh, i would tell them so at first and if they don't if they disagree or just keep on bullshitting something uh, i would i wouldn't follow their orders anymore and i would stop respecting them as well so it's it's a whole problem when you work in house does that make sense yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have, uh, uh, what would you call that? Like difficulties with authority or something, um, you know, it can, can get That's frustrating. The thing. I, I, yeah, I don't have a, um, a problem with authority as long as I believe they're right. As long as they show me that they're right. But as uh, the, the first sign I see that they're not doing something right, that, they, that they're actually wrong and they don't admit it, that I immediately lose respect for them. Mm-hmm. Now, on the translation side, um, you said earlier that um, that you weren't super happy as a translator all the time either. Um, so yes. why don't you go into that part too? Sure. Well, as a freelancer, especially when working with agencies, sometimes you get, well, you probably know who it is. It's very um, uh, unstable. Yeah. So for, for example, since I was starting out, I had, for example, a few months where I had absolutely nothing and then everything would hit me at once. Yeah. So it's a bit frustrating on that end. But the good thing is that in Argentina, I didn't have any financial pressure. Yeah. So that helped a lot, which is not something I can afford here, basically, because the bills add up really quick. 
yeah yeah so what um like what would you do when you had the time off you know so like you have a low a lull or a low point in your work um you've got a week with with nothing coming in what what would you use that week for there is always something to do it, it may it just may not be something that brings in an income if that makes sense yeah. so there is like the, the website that you have to build up uh and then translate because if you're a translator you can't afford to have your website only in one language that, that just wouldn't make sense mm-hmm. um you can always look for more clients sign up with more agencies um you always have paperwork to do like filling up your um your uh, your invoices following up your on your invoices and that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh you can even start looking on at different at new things for example how to find direct clients and mm-hmm. give it a go um you can also study which is something that i did with uh, german i i studied german in argentina which is fun mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you always have a lot of stuff you can do, um, but yeah, it's always a case of trying to to get to, yeah to score a job basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so have you looked around for in-house translation gigs in Switzerland since you've been there? Like done any searches for those? Oh. Well, I, I had a look when I was in Argentina, and I found that it was very. Yeah, I, I found a few articles and a few things. Uh, that seem to point to, to to the fact that it's very difficult to find a, a, an in-house job in Switzerland. I actually looked at pros, at pros.com, to see the number of translators for um, the, the language pairs, English into French and Spanish into French. Uh-huh. And there were absolutely none signed up on pros for Spanish into French. Yeah. And only a, f- only a couple, I believe, or for, uh, for English into French. So I think there is a reason for that. Um, well, the, the prices... First of all, yeah. But uh, but yeah, in-house jobs. I know they exist. It's just there aren't that many, and since I'm not specialized yet, it would probably be even more difficult for me to find one. Right, right. Interesting. So uh, <laughs> and and so far, there's uh, there's no regrets. Then, like you're just. Uh, you're on on the new path and and you're just all everything forward onward upward basically yeah yeah it just seems to make sense yeah because see in argentina i couldn't study anything like like finance and accounting i could but not in french mm-hmm. and here i have this opportunity to do it and it's it only it's only going to take two years and a half Mm-hmm. So it's not a study that take that long, and in that time, I'll also have a better idea of whether or not I want to go back to freelancing. Totally. And uh, so you you said that um, one of the things uh, with uh, translating that was uh, annoying was this ups and downs in your work and stuff. Yes. Um, were there any other things that um, that you didn't like about your translation career? Well, there are a few things, but I think it's inevitable. For example, when uh, when your client sec- second guesses whether or not you're a native speaker because you use that term that sounds weird to a, a French-speaking friend of theirs, um, it, it happens sometimes, and it's a bit frustrating to have to answer them, to quote the dictionary, and to show them that you're actually right. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that, that's a detail, really. Um, oh Did- yes, of course. The, the, well, one other point that I disliked a bit was the fact of uh, that, that I was always on my own. Yeah. Always stuck at home at the computer, and uh, yeah, it it gets 
I'm not gonna say lonely because I wasn't particularly lonely. We had the neighbors and all that. We, we were partying from time to time. But uh, as far as uh, a job goes, I think you do need some some more direct contact with people. Because for agencies, for example, you usually turn into a number. You're not even a person anymore for most of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the big ones have uh, like automatic routers and stuff, so you just get the work in. Exactly. Hmm. So yeah, that was a bit dis. Yeah, not disappointing. That was a bit frustrating. Did you look around for any communities at all during that time, or, uh, or well, I guess you've been a community manager for for Zingword, but did, <laughs> did you? Uh, I don't know. Did you like look around on the internet for people that that you could relate to at all, or something like that? Um, well, I was. I was living very close to the university, and they had a language department there. Uh, um, I w actually went to to check if I could sign up for a, a master's in translation studies. They only had it for Spanish and English, and a few of the people there spoke French, and they seemed to be very happy to, to be able to to use their French with a native speaker. Uh, but um, other than that, I went to um, an event organized by Pros at some point. But the thing is, when you go to an event like this, people tend to go in groups. And they don't tend to open their groups very much. At least in Argentina, they don't. So if you're the yeah, if you're alone at an event like that, you're just not gonna talk to anyone because people don't want to talk to you, basically. Right, right, right. Yeah, it can be hard to uh, to break into those things. Um, uh, also the, with associations, um, right? Yeah. Indeed. Um, there was the what's that called? The uh, when you share an office, the. Um, Ah, the co-working. When you go to an, the co-working space, yes, the the article that I wrote about that on the the Zingwood blog. Uh, but yeah, it, it seemed to be a bit expensive for what it was. Mm -hmm. you, you basically you have to pay for socializing. It, it just doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Funny. Well, I am going to miss you, Jill. Um, so <laughs> for I'm the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully soon, then I'll just be like, okay, Jill, I'm taking you back, and I'm gonna pay you ten thousand euros a month. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, that's the case. <laughs> we'll open up an office in Switzerland, and uh, and we'll, I'll I'll pay you, you know, ten thousand a month, and then get you back. To be fair, I don't have that high expectations, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, so for the listeners out there, it does mean that, um, well, I, I, I guess while, while you're looking for a job, there's this intermediate time um, where we can still continue to do the podcast and we have some interesting um, guests lined up for, for the coming shows and stuff. But, uh, but it does mean that I'll be in the market for a new co-host. Um, or some temporary co-hosts or sit-in co-hosts or some kind of co-host. Uh, I could also do it by myself, um, but it's nicer to have a co-host, I think, because, like, for example, we did the episode where it was just the two of us talking and about the different events going on and different things, and I, I think that's a really nice setup to provide commentary on stuff and not always have to do an interview, you know, because it always interviewing is just too many too much interviewing and um uh, so on the the radio page which is zingware.com slash translator dash um city dash radio 
you'll see like first thing on there is a place where you can record um, a message for us. And if you have a question for us, you can stick it there. Uh, if you'd like us to talk about something, make a comment, anything at all, um, you can stick it there. Um, but also, like if somebody wants to uh, put on their best radio voice and uh, do a little audition uh, to be a co-host on Zinger Translator City Radio, um, by all means. It's a really fun thing to do. Uh it, it sounds a bit scary at first, but when you get started, it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, because in the end, it's just a it's just a podcast. Now, you mentioned something earlier. You mentioned yeah. something earlier when we were talking about um, translations um, that you were frustrated with their translation work sometimes that that you weren't enjoying it. Um, do you think that specializing in something like finance, where maybe the texts will be more interesting? Uh, will solve that for you? It's possible um, because then you would really understand everything that the text is talking about. But then again, it could get repetitive. Uh, so there is always that risk right. that you may be an expert in your field, but then if all the texts you receive are the same, just with different numbers, then it'll get boring as well. Right. right. So I think you just need to find a kind of balance. For example, there. Um, I'm actually, if I go back to freelancing, I don't think I would only be translating. Um, I, for example, something that my, my dad does, he's, he's focusing on uh, insurance, right? He sells insurance. That, that's basically his profession. Mm -hmm. But he, he doesn't only do that. He also helps uh, foreigners who, who come to Switzerland to want well, to work and to, for, for whatever stuff. To, uh, he helps them with their paperwork, uh, with the... Um, the income tax form, for example, which is tricky to fill in. So if you know how to fill in, you can help them with that and you can charge for it. Uh, he helps them whenever they have legal problems. So he writes letters for them. He hires lawyers for them. So you, you can do a whole sort of uh, a whole bunch of services for foreigners who aren't familiar with the, the way the, uh, the administration works here in the country and just help them sort their stuff out. Right. Oh, that's really and cool. And you can charge for that. So I've noticed there are a lot of Spanish-speaking people in Switzerland. It's really surprised me because I've never noticed them before. Uh, but now that I speak Spanish, it's, it just comes naturally. You're uh, on the bus and you just hear someone speak Spanish and it's like, oh. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and it just seems to happen all the time. So my, my dad uh, focuses on, on people from Portugal because there are a lot of Portuguese in, the, in, in my town. Right. But in general... I, I could use my Spanish to help Spanish-speaking people uh, settle down in Switzerland, for example, on top of my translation gig. So yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's a good idea. And that's nice, too, because, uh, you know, like the last time I was in Geneva was um, about a year ago, exactly. Yeah, and, when we uh, met. Yeah, exactly. We met there. What a beautiful day that was. I had it was awesome. It was, wasn't it? It was a really nice day. Um but uh, if I recall, there was a lot of uh, billboard signs for the for some election because in Switzerland you have kind of a direct democracy sort of thing going on, and yes. uh, and it seemed like a lot of people were really uh, you know kind of xenophobic about immigrants and people coming to Switzerland. Yeah, there is um, a political party here, the the the, uh, the one at the center actually, who who is very famous for uh, making racist com racist comments. Mm -hmm. And for example, they had like um, 
uh, uh, what's that called? Um, one of their advertisement campaigns for, uh, I'm not sure if that was when you came, it was a few years ago, but they used basically the, uh, the image of a, of a black sheep among yeah. tons of white sheep and they, they use like a, a slogan to say something like uh, all the blacks out or something like that and they are really blunt really racist and people don't like them for that but yeah. even so they seem to get a lot of popularity I think it's a bit like the um, like what's happened what, what happened in the UK with the um, Brexit ah, not Brexit, but they have a political party with that, uh, that that basically does the same thing. They yeah. just throw nonsense statistics at people, and people just buy them. Yeah, yeah, or like uh, the uh, National uh, Front in France and the yeah, um, claiming even things the like, Trump thing. Exactly. Honestly, uh, I call this uh, um, personally. I, I call this Berlusconification. That's the word I have for all of oh. this stuff where you have these weird right-wing parties that um, screw everything up and constantly get into um, controversies and they continue to win elections and <laughs> succeed. Uh, yeah. like, also like Rajoy in Spain and, uh, and then Brexit in the UK and, and this other party. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It is. And, you know, racism was one of my worries when we left Argentina because I know, well... I was I'm mostly told and I believe that people in Europe are a bit racist. I just didn't know to what extent. Mm -hmm. uh, because, for example, uh, when I was working uh, as an accounts assistant, we had a few foreigners within the company, but they, they, were, they never were included with the, the Swiss people. So they were always sort of apart, basically. So the foreigners had their, their own group and the Swiss had their own group. And the same thing happened to me when I was in the UK. Um, for example, whenever we would go out with the, the class, the foreigners would be on one side and the British would be on the other. And that, that, it's something that people do subconsciously, I think. It's not, uh, people don't want to be racist, it's just something that occurs naturally. Because, for example, not, not racism, I'm not saying that racism occurs na naturally. That, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that, for example, all the British would, would have the, similar, the, the same cultural references. They would know the same TV shows. They would know the, the same politicians. They would have the same sort of things to talk about. Whereas um, the foreigners would all be on the same boat in that they would all be on, in, a, in, a, in a foreign country for them. So they wouldn't be native of the language. They would have the same sort of struggles, understanding the law, the, the, how to pay rent, taxes, and all that sort of thing. So you just have a lot more in common with other foreigners than you do with British people. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And now that we are back to Switzerland, I've noticed a few more things that people tend to do because I'm trying to pay attention to that, the, 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 the indirect racism thing. And I noticed that people all, for example, in my family, you know, my, um, well, my, my dad works constantly with Portuguese people. He's, uh, he's worked with, uh, um, uh, what's the word for that? He's worked at the government in the, the social department to help people in need. Mm-hmm. And he, he used to help a lot of foreigners as well. Um, and he's about the furthest you could think of as a racist. And yet he often makes jokes to my mother saying, 
think that she should go and see a black doctor because she complains about her doctor uh, that, that he's incompetent and stuff like that. And my dad keeps making jokes to her that she should go and see a black one. But mm-hmm. as a joke, and he doesn't mean it in a bad way, but that sort of thing, when you, when you look at it from a different perspective, when I'm thinking about my Colombian wife, when she hears that sort of comments, uh, that... That's also a bit of racism right there, but it's indirect. It's not vol- it's not voluntary. Yeah, it's a tricky topic. But the, 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 does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, I mean, sometimes uh, we call that latent um, racism, but uh, latent, latent, yeah, or latent. It's like uh, like dormant almost, but. Um, I, I mean, in general, in Europe, uh, people are a lot more racist uh, than people realize. Um, now, I, I don't think that, you know, translators listening to our podcast are racist or um, people that are, you know, involved in this field um, because it's just very naturally international. But um, but in Europe, uh, people can be extremely racist and it's very surprising to me Um because for a long time I had this idea that Europe was like this uh, palace of uh, progressive thought and stuff. But, uh, you know, this Berlusconification thing that started a long time ago kind of throws <laughs> throws all that out the window. It certainly does. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, people are very, also very... Um, I mean, in the States, we're, we're very politically correct about these things and... I, I I hear a lot of times in Europe that people are um, making jokes about how we're so politically correct in the states. Like, oh, you're oh. you guys are so PC and um, it's so stupid. You know, you have to be careful in the states. You can't say anything. And uh, but you know the the truth is is that you know saying things like this joke about the doctor. I mean, um, it's just not really worth it. You know, because it's not very funny, and it's not like like your dad's a bad person, but uh, but it's not a very funny joke. There's no real need to to say that. Exactly. Um, and if you sit there and analyze it, then it's like, well, what 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 exactly are we saying <laughs> when we say but it's something like see, that? See, I think that's one of the things that we realize when we start traveling, because the the for example. My parents just never travel. They, I don't. Mm. They've been out of the country, but they don't like it. Uh, they don't travel very often, even within Switzerland. For example, going one hour by car would be far for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I think the, the people who do these things just don't realize what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the case. Well, I, I really hope that that you never encounter any problems there. You know, I'm. You know, I, I I imagine that someday somebody will say something, you know, and uh, but that I hope that you don't have any any problems. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I can't even remember how we came to the top to the topic of racism. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, we were talking about um, Switzerland and direct democracy and and that um, thing about that about the, the posters. Uh, oh and... yes, the posters so in Geneva. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and before that, we were talking about the French uh, area of Switzerland, um, which is a good place to live too, because uh, everybody says it's way more laid back than the German area, right? I'm not sure. Or is that racism right there? <laughs> <laughs> Those French Swiss—they don't do work. <laughs> well, it's 
it's certainly the stereotype that the, the German-speaking part is very structured. They are much like, like if you compare Germany and France, uh, for example, I'm told my, my two brothers work at the same company in the German in the German part of Switzerland, and apparently they receive a lot of abuse because they, because they come from the French-speaking part, but because uh, the, the German speakers think that the French uh, the, the, the French speakers. Uh, only think about partying and only make jokes and only uh, and are very relaxed and just don't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for the for the German speakers that are listening to the podcast, um, you know, like uh, we have some friends in Barcelona that uh, rent out a room uh, on Airbnb, and uh, they frequently have uh, German guests. And like the top number one thing that the German guests say is. Uh, wow, so we noticed that you're not taking siesta. I thought that everybody in Spain slept for two or three hours every afternoon. And it's like, okay, guys, you know. <laughs> like, I'm from Minnesota, and uh, we still uh, use horses and, and wagons. Um, oh, you don't? <laughs> exactly. So That's let's make fun me. of some Germans for a while because they're always giving everyone else such a hard time. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, that was episode four of uh, Translator City Radio, talking about Jill uh, leaving translation industry temporarily, permanently. Will he ever come back? Uh, are you ever going to come back? Probably. I hope so. I mean, it's it's a really cool and flexible industry to work in, and I'm not sure if I'll be able to stand the, the in-house gig for very long, but we'll see how it goes. I just All might, right. but I'm not convinced that I will. All right. Well, we're wishing you the best <laughs> of luck with your with your in-house gig, um, and uh, and your studies and everything, and we hope that you come back to translations when when it's all finished. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Yeah, yeah, cuz in the end it's just a it's just a podcast. <laughs>